And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. The Athletic. Is this how you would describe women's football? It's like a Glastonbury in some ways. There's a festival feeling. That's Nikki Doucette. He'll be running the women's professional game in England. Do you agree? I suppose they both have fields. But do we want a festival atmosphere? And what does that say about where the game is headed? I'm Sophie Penny, and from The Athletic, this is Full Time Europe. I'm happy to be back on full time today with The Athletic's women's football editor, Chloe Morgan. Hi, Chloe. Hiya. Welcome back, Soph. Nice to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. And it's our full time columnist, Jessie Parker-Humphreys. Hi, Jessie. Hello. A big thank you to Abby for expertly steering the show in my absence. Uh, you heard a clip there of Nikki Doucette, the CEO of Nuco. That's the company that's going to take over the professional women's game in England from next season. Nuco just means new company. They'll be coming up with a proper name uh, soon. Here's her full comments about the unique fan base in women's football. What I hear from the fans is just this passion. It's like a Glastonbury in some ways. There's a festival feeling. It feels welcoming. It feels inclusive. It feels fun and passionate. Don't get me wrong. This is sport. and We all want to win. But it's in, a, in such a welcoming way where there, there's no judgment. And I think everyone is now seeing and feeling that more and more and more. And everyone wants to be a part of that. Chloe, I'll start with you. What was your initial reaction to those comments from Nikki Dissette? I think they're obviously interesting comments. I think everyone's picked up on this sort of Glastonbury comment in particular. Obviously, you know, Glastonbury, you know, I, I went uh, a couple of years back, that kind of festival experience that, you know, bringing everyone, like, communities together, there's sort of comedy, there's music, there's arts, there's performances, that kind of thing. And I think everyone maybe got a little bit carried away with what she meant. I think in my mind, I think what she was trying to say, that there needs to be sort of an improvement in the fan experience. It, you know, we need to take, you know, lots of positives from what's already happened. So, you know, fan engagement at games, you know, creating this atmosphere where you do have maybe, you know, halftime or, or pre-game performances where you do create this kind of inclusive uh, community and environment where you do kind of encourage different sets of, of fans to attend the game. So I wasn't overly concerned with the sort of Glastonbury comment. I think it's kind of been picked out as being, you know, we don't want to you know make this into something it's not we don't want to detract away from the football but actually I think she was just trying to say something positive that you know we we can create something different and special here so they're not not too concerned what do you think Jassy? Initial reaction was, how can I get the Athletic to send me to Glastonbury to do the comparison? <laughs> but uh, beyond that um, I think the initial reaction was maybe just a feeling of oh we've kind of heard lots of this stuff before and maybe for there to have been a little bit more thought about who she was speaking to in terms of like where this was going out and who would be listening as a result you know you're not really in a boardroom or a marketing meeting and just feeling like the mark had been maybe a little bit missed from that perspective. 
when I initially heard it, I had a bit of an eye roll just because it felt like it was going back to the whole women's football is rainbows and roses and all that kind of thing. But when you look into what she's saying, she is saying that sport is competitive and, and people want to win as well. And I suppose that is is the question. Does a festival atmosphere dilute or detract from from the football and from the seriousness of the women's product. I think it's important to have this discussion now as well because this debate has been going on forever in women's football and some people are fed up with it. But now there's actually a chance to change things with Nuco coming in. So I think this is, is something we need to discuss. What do you think, Chloe, about that kind of... Can you have serious football and a festival atmosphere? Yeah, absolutely. I think both of them can go hand in hand. And I think... To me, I think Nikki Doucette is very much focused on sort of fan engagement and growing the game, growing the audiences. Whereas, you know, we've seen the Kelly Simmons era, which it seems like there's been a bit of a departure from that in terms of Kelly Simmons was very much focused on the product itself, you know, improve facilities, improve funding, improve coaching resources, those kind of things. So that the product gets better and then the audience will grow itself because it is such a marketable and watchable product. And I think we've reached this kind of new era of women's football where we don't, we still have to focus on those things, but there's also this kind of, ability now to kind of look at the externals which is the which is the fans that how we engage with them you know how we use the FA player what we do in sort of the activation of you know things before the game so I don't necessarily think you know if you go to a game and you know you have different sets of audiences there you do have family and and children do have a younger audience potentially than the men's games do but you also have you know groups of men's going you know mixed groups going older generations going so I think you know to be able to cater to those kind of audiences sometimes you do need to pull in you know other bits and pieces and those might be you know the gunosaurus at the start of games or it might be you know apple rolling jesse i hear you're a fan of that <laughs> apple rolling yeah i love the apple rolling at bristol city they have <laughs> dancing mascots as well i was at brisbane road so although they've axed the beatboxers so you know it's hard times out there um, <laughs> even less like glastonbury then i think chloe's right um and i i totally agree i think there is and it's great to see clubs coming up with like sort of fun and inventive ways to get people interested. I know in the past there was a bit of like uproar about Peppa Pig being at Aston Villa, but you know, if Peppa Pig's a women's football fan, great, love to see it. I think for me, something that feels like a little more uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, maybe that's too far, but there's something about like the organised fun element, which I think feels very far removed from what women's football atmospheres can be like and this sense of being like oh you know everything's going to be this fun inclusive exciting atmosphere but sometimes that stuff has to be a lot more organic than being like you can put that onto games and I think what we've seen with the Arsenal experience is how much of that has been fan led and what has worked really well I think from an Arsenal perspective is it's allowed fans to sort of find where they want to be so if you want to go to the pub and have a load of beers before you before the game and then go and sing you can go and hang out with that lots of people if you're like looking for a more family friendly atmosphere you can go to the ground and there'll be stuff you know at the emirates like they've had like bands and stuff to 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 watch and i think i feel like the the comments the reason it's hard is because it feels very much like a top-down sort of analysis of of how women's football atmosphere should be when actually I think what we've seen is is the most success and excitement has actually come from more like bottom-up approaches. 
I think there's something around sort of using Arsenal as a bit of a template. I think you know what Jesse was alluding to there, when you kind of look at the overall fan experience from the minute you wake up, you know, the socials are going on the Arsenal account, there's sort of, um, you know, the team sheet comes out, you get really excited, you step out of the tube and all of a sudden there's like the smell of burger vans, there's hot dogs, there's, you know, scarf sales immediately on the street. This is at one of the Emirates games, obviously. Um, but I just, I'm taking... <laughs> not so much as <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I just I'm always thrown back to the Arsenal Wolfsburg uh, Wolfsburg uh, Wolfsburg um, Champions League game. Yeah, not not so long ago, sort of uh, back in 2023, and yeah, it was sort of stepping out of the the underground. You sort of you get hit with the Berg van smell. You're walking down the street. There's the steel pans playing. There's the drums. You sort of step into the the Emirates. You've got again the steel pans sort of following you inside the stadium. There's flags being waved. Like the girls come out. The you know the atmosphere is incredible, and I think that is sort of it is a sort of mini festival, I suppose, in itself. But I don't necessarily think that sort of detracts away from the game in, in any sense. I think that's the kind of atmosphere and environment that, you know, you want to create. It's a safe space. It's, you know, we still have that sense of, you know, it not being, whilst you might have fans who want to go and get absolutely tanked before the game, it's not going to be sort of a place where, you know, antisocial behaviour starts to creep in or it becomes an aggressive or, or not a safe space for, you know, all sorts of different fans to come. So, yeah, I think them, I think Arsenal set a pretty good template for what I think she's alluding to. I guess the tricky thing there is you want to be inclusive and we don't, want any violence at football games or or anything like that but how do you also create a tribal atmosphere where there is true rivalry I thought Jesse it was interesting you said kind of the distinction between a negative crowd and a noisy crowd yeah and I think those two categories sometimes get merged together on Twitter which of course would never happen the idea that a complex issue could suddenly become simplified and therefore lose all meaning as a result but you know we we talk a lot about how great it is and how important it is that women's football is a space where people feel welcome where lots of sort of the racism misogyny homophobia that can kind of crop up in crowds in the men's game isn't something that's there and you know it's obvious that no one wants that to change But there's a bit of a separation between that and between, for example, people having issues with people swearing at football matches. And sometimes I feel like those first things are invoked as being like, you know, it's really important that we keep this pleasant atmosphere. But people swearing or like having a go at players or even if you look at the Man United example at the moment, right, which is quite an interesting one where fans want to express their grievances about a manager And then that kind of also gets bundled in, you know, we don't want this negative atmosphere. Well, at the end of the day, it's football and it's sport and fans spend huge amount of money, you know, following their teams. Obviously, women's football isn't as expensive as men's football. But, you know, if you look at the United case and you're getting down to London for a 12.30 kickoff to watch your team. And at the end of the game, you want to say that for whatever reason, you dislike your manager. It feels like I don't think we should lose that in service of this sort of happy clappy good feeling atmosphere because that kind of takes away like the meaning of of football you know I always kind of feel like unless you have moments where you feel absolutely rubbish about your team you can't ever really enjoy the moments where your team does really well and so there are always going to be sort of frustrations that are bundled 
around that and they are going to come out in in different ways in crowds i think there's something also um quite interesting with the sort of nature of fans and their loyalties and allegiances though because i think there was some i can't remember where it was i think it was some of the marketing uh, sort of reports that were coming back from the women's world cup and they were saying that a lot of people regardless of what country they supported regardless of what nation they were from they kind of had an allegiance more to the players and you start to see the same thing with the wsl where it's not so much that they support man united but actually they support alessia russo once she moves to arsenal suddenly they become Arsenal fans and actually there's not that same kind of like oh we hate Arsenal you know or we we hate Tottenham or that North London derby type feel it's more actually they just go along to support the players they're not actually that they don't actually mind that much about about the result in itself which I thought was quite quite interesting so maybe you will sort of lose some of that going head for head but it was quite interesting last week because I was able to go to the Women's Champions League game um, at Stamford Bridge with Chelsea against uh, Real Madrid and there was just over 11,000 fans there and there was one guy who was kind of giving it his absolute best to try and set off some songs Um, it was right by the press pit he would not be quiet it was quite irritating for those who were trying to work but he was the one guy who was trying to create some sense of atmosphere in, in Stamford bridge at, at quite a sort of um quite a mild game I'd say and then you sort of two days later I was back at Stamford Bridge for the um for the Chelsea match against Aston Villa the men's game jam-packed you had the Aston Villa uh, fans in one stand even before I got to the stadium you had Aston Villa fans shouting some quite offensive things on the train to Chelsea fans there were kids there who were also partaking in you know some quite um graphic displays of antisocial behaviour from about sort of 10 onwards and then the, the Villa fans and the Chelsea fans once you're in the stadium were giving each other absolute hell absolute crap I mean there were sort of very aggressive stances they were making sort of sweary gestures at each other they were being quite offensive to each other and there was that real sense of kind of hating each other and whilst I absolutely condone that behaviour the sense of rivalry and the sense of kind of like being passionate about your team and hating the other team there was something sort of um quite you kind of you want to have that atmosphere but not as extreme as that you want to kind of have that rivalry but not make it as you know antisocial and sort of uh, aggressive and uncomfortable as as that but there is something to be said i think like Jesse said from having that kind of i don't know grit and you know passion for your team and you you hate other all teams at, at their expense um i think there's there's something quite nice about that in a in a way i hope that doesn't sound weird i think this is also this Chloe's like landed perfectly also on the tension with sort of fan reaction to these comments because you've got a large chunk of fans who have really excitingly come to football for the first time through women's football and they're exploring and learning their own ways of fandom and what that might look like and for some of them that might look closer to what you know the rivalry stuff that Chloe's describing for some of them it might look more like exactly following players or something like that but you also have a chunk of fans who've grown up through the men's game and so that experience of going to men's football that is what football means to them and I think what's sometimes hard about hearing comments like the the one we're kind of discussing is is feeling like those fans end up being almost ignored or it pretends they're not existing because we're so focused on this more exciting in inverted commas chunk of supporters who are these big eventers as they're called in marketing speak they're seen as the real people who you can make money off they're the people who you're going to turn on to the game and I think that's again just a little bit of a frustration whereby no one's saying I don't think that like those people don't exist and they're not worth like going to get in games and encouraging there of course you know like clubs want to make money but it just sort of it takes away some of the complexities of what it means to be a fan and it erases some of the experiences of people who've either been in football for a very, very long time or even have been in women's football for a very long time. 
And I think it also unfortunately falls back into this idea that if you're a women's football fan, you're not necessarily someone who's grown up on men's terraces, for example. And that's just not true. I think it's really difficult, isn't it, in terms of who are the fans and who are you trying to target? Do you think then that women's football is trying to target too many different types of groups of people? And and that's that's the issue because they are essentially trying to get everyone, aren't they? And that's trying to please a lot of different groups which have very different priorities. I think um, Nikki Doucette's got a very difficult task on her hand. I think we're only just starting to really understand the makeup and the demographic of some of the fans that we have. I think there's probably quite a lot of data that they could have used from the Euros. And you've got to factor that in with the context of the resources that, that you actually have, as well as all the other stuff that she's going to be focusing on in terms of player welfare and marketing and, you know, improving platforms, the broadcast deal, you know, putting in place a new board. I mean, you know, this is <laughs> this is just one of the massive topics of things that she has to sort of cover in the next year or so. Chloe's like totally right. There's so much stuff to figure out. And I think if you read Charlotte's piece on The Athletic about the whole roundtable, we've just obviously focused specifically on the Glastonbury quote, but this feeling of like, there's a lot of talk, but there's not much substance. And there is so much stuff to work through. And I think the thing that's concerning and maybe that sort of sits below this like laughing a bit at the Glastonbury thing is why are we sort of getting these like top level phrases and quotes that, okay, they might be funny. They might be a bit off of piste, but where is the like actual structure on what is something that's really incredibly, incredibly important for the future of the women's game? Yeah, they said they're going to keep the same format, haven't they, for next season, keep the Conti Cup, which I suppose kicks that can down the road a little bit. But the question of of TV deals and you know everything else basically almost everything else I think every time I read an article about it I think oh I'm gonna get some answers and then you think uh no they haven't decided anything yet so uh, hopefully as it as it progresses we will get more answers and I think it does link into a lot of wider issues as well you know this whole uh environment and atmosphere question also links into to stadium sizes which stadium are you playing in are you playing in the Emirates or are you playing at Boreham Wood and and it just links to so many wider questions in women's football another question that has been brought up in these discussions is would a dedicated slot help with that fan engagement do we need to do something about that 3pm blackout we'll we'll come on to that next but first thanks to Google Pixel let's go beyond the frame with Jesse at Brisbane Road and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalist's audio being drowned out by the crowd, the audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. Something that was really important for Manchester City in their win today over Tottenham was Yui Hasegawa. It's obviously been a tough week for City. Uh, they announced that Jill Ward has suffered at ATL. And City are a team who like to pay a really consistent 
starting 11. You know, Gareth Taylor obviously knows who his starters are and he likes to rely on them. So I think this was a game where players were going to need to step up, where they were going to want to come together. But what was really noticeable was how dominant Hasegawa was in that midfield area. She's someone who is thought of, rightly so, as you know, a creative player. She plays in that deep-lying midfield role. But I think it goes often unnoticed how much defensive work she does. And there were points in the game where City lost control and Spurs had a lot of opportunities coming forward. But Hasegawa was really able to mop up in that midfield area. And something interesting is that Jill Rhodes has spoken in her time at Manchester City about them needing a bit more bite. I think we saw that from Hasegawa today and it's going to be really, really important as City look to overcome the blow that obviously is losing Rhodes. And the good news for them is obviously Hasegawa signed a new contract recently. So it feels like she's going to be a really, really key piece in this Manchester City midfield for the rest of the season. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Sophie Penny, Chloe Morgan and Jesse Parker Humphreys here with you on Full Time Europe. I mentioned about a dedicated slot and it is true that scheduling does have a big impact on the atmosphere, doesn't it, as well? And that's something that we really need to address in women's football. It's it's hard to be in your full voice at 11.30am, isn't it, Jesse? Uh, yeah, definitely. And I know I've seen Arsenal fans complaining that they've had a lot of consecutive 12.30 kickoffs, which is impacting their ability to uh, to get points in before before the match. But it is tough, you know. I, I think the, the problem is, is there's a lot of football that gets played in this country and television is king, ultimately, both for the men's and women's game. And that ends up with games being slotted in at the places which the broadcasters feel like makes most sense. And that's not always what makes most sense to match-going fans. And speaking of broadcasts and TV slots, there has been a suggestion that women's football should be shown in the 3pm blackout slot. So that's a peak time where there's no TV competition from the men's game. I'm sure most people do know, but if you don't know, the blackout just means that Saturday 3pm kickoffs can't be shown on TV. What do you guys think about women's football taking that 3pm blackout slot as a way of increasing uh, fan engagement and and getting more eyes on the game? Do you know what, Soph? I actually don't know. I think um, the issue that we have with this kind of Saturday 3pm blackout slot is that I don't think we have enough available data at the moment as to sort of whether that is the best time for women's football. And I think when you're sort of looking at times, it's not just, okay, well, let's just pick any mini, miny, mo, you know, this slot, or let's have a look at the 3pm blackout slot because it's sort of almost kind of set out for us because it, you know, has been that way for 50 odd years. But it's also, you need to take into sort of account, you know, when women's football audiences are engaging. Looking at previous matches, when have other slots been, you know, or achieved greater audiences? I mean, the sort of some of the Friday night games where you've had the sort of big Arsenal games on on a, on a Friday evening, those have attracted big audiences. The Chelsea v Liverpool game, I think, in November attracted a big audience. So I think when you're sort of looking at, you know, when is the best space, I don't necessarily think, okay, automatically 3 pm is, but also factor in things like, you know, 
grassroots football and, and when do they play or you know what are the other kind of um, slots that are available and, and would they be better matched with some of the fixtures and also what are the players schedules saying as well so I think um, I, de- I definitely agree there should be a dedicated space women's football I am I, yet to be convinced that Saturday 3pm is the best slot I suppose the argument for the 3pm slot is that there's no other men's football on to compete with it for. But I see what you mean. Is that time the best time? You mentioned the Chelsea-Liverpool game on BBC last November. That kicked off 1.30pm on a Saturday and that was the most watched WSL game so far. So it had an average audience of about 800,000 viewers, a peak of 950,000. And it was also in an international men's window but I do think that's a really important point does that 3 p.m actually make sense for the women's game because the idea is that it allows people to watch lower league men's games isn't it that's that's the kind of argument for it you know people won't be watching a big Premier League game on TV so they can go to their local game and and buy a ticket for it and, and give give that club money but also as you say when are the women's grassroots games? Does it match up with the men's game? I just think it's a bit of a different question, isn't it, Jesse? Yeah, well, I think firstly, it's important to say that like politically, obviously, the 3pm blackout is an incredibly tricky issue to work through. And I think the basis behind it is really important. And, you know, grassroots football and local football is is really valuable. And I can fully understand why people want to keep it in place across both men's and women's football. To your point, Sophie, obviously, the reality is it's women's football's on a Sunday across the country, whether in the WSL or if you're in, you know, grassroots, because men play on the pitches on Saturday. That's always been the case. And so the part of the issue at the moment is that, you know, there's a huge chunk of players up and down the country who won't go to women's football matches on Sunday because they're playing on Sunday. And obviously that's, you know, true in a lot of senses for a lot of things. But, you know, the fact that men's non-league football has its own dedicated slot works to benefit a lot of people, basically, you know, like the fact that people will go to games from below the Premier League downwards, I think, you know, suits everyone in terms of not having anything on television. But I do think it is worth questioning whether putting women's football there is is the obvious answer. I think people would watch it. And I think the Chelsea Liverpool game sort of shows that it is a primetime slot, ultimately. But are the benefits worth what would potentially be lost by losing what the blackout offers and I think something that I find interesting especially when we haven't really spoken about media rights in relation to Newco but you know this the new deal is obviously like due to come up it finishes at the end of the season and I think there's a lot more that could be done by broadcast to kind of create dedicated slots themselves so for example at the moment TNT Sports has a dedicated slot in inverted commas in the 12:30 Saturday kickoff in the men's game now is there a world where Sky can turn around and say do you know what we're going to try and directly compete with that Premier League game for, for women's football because we don't we never get a Premier League game in that slot that's where TNT Sports have it and vice versa on a Sunday when Sky are putting when Sky are showing Premier League games can TNT Sports go and do that and I think that competition between broadcast and the willingness to put resources into into the women's game to try and compete with the Premier League would be really interesting to see, well, can we give women's football a slot so that people know when their games are going to be? Because this is also the big issue, is that broadcast takes so long to tell you when the game is going to be, it makes it 
extra expensive and hard to get to a game because if your game so for example Chelsea's match against Manchester City has been moved to the Friday night in two weeks time but that was moved sort of like about a week and a half ago and so you get a very limited amount of time for if you're a Manchester City fan to figure out how you get down to London for a Friday night kickoff and I think there are so many I think interesting options to explore probably before we get rid of the blackout but it requires broadcast to do something about it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, Jesse's right. I think there's there's so much to still be ironed out with the broadcast deal. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how many more live games are going to be shown across, you know, BBC, Sky or whoever takes the deal. I'm assuming it's BBC or Sky or a mixture of both that will take those deals, but also on the FA player as well. I mean, one of my absolute bugbears, you know, and recently it's kind of come to light a little bit more, was the FA Cup weekend a couple of weeks back. And you kind of had... I think it's about four or five, six fixtures starting at the same time at one o'clock. And you just, I don't want, I, I know we're sort of talking about this dedicated slot and absolutely that needs to happen, but I don't think we should kind of be limiting ourselves to just the one slot in a way. I think I want to be greedier than that. I want to be saying, okay, well, there should be a, either a larger slot or t- a couple of slots over a weekend, uh, you know, from a Friday to a Sunday where women's football is, is, is shown and that, that is a dedicated time for it. Because I think what you don't want to do is sort of get to a situation where you can only watch one game game live um, you know I love a good weekend where you've got sort of a you know a 12 o'clock start you've got a three o'clock mm-hmm. start you might have a six o'clock start because then I know that I've got the entire day on the couch <laughs> watching football <laughs> continuously because I you know and it sort of almost comes back to the fandom thing again because you know why whilst I do support Man United I've been quite obvious about that over the years I actually do love you know going to see what you know what's happening with Arsenal what's happening with Chelsea or, you know if there's new players that have been signed you know I want to see their first run in so I think there's um you know it's not just that you have fans who are dedicated to just seeing the one game at a weekend and just supporting their squad I think you know there's there's obviously scope there for you know fans to engage with with other games as well and, and grow audiences across you know multiple teams so yeah I do think um the slot whilst it's good I do have concerns that it's that it's not going to be enough and especially more so if we sort of see Nuco turn around next year or in years to come and say well actually we're going to be expanding the leagues because there'll be more games shown at the weekend every week so it could get even more congested if we don't think about opening up other slots or making a slot big enough for the women's game. I think the problem Nuco faces to a certain extent is how important broadcast money is within the women's game at the moment, especially because the amount of revenue, unless you're Arsenal, the amount of revenue you're sort of getting from match-going fans is much, much lower than than it would be in the men's game. But in the men's game, equally, broadcast revenue is incredibly, incredibly important. And as a result, I think that kind of puts Nuco in a pretty tricky negotiating position because it almost feels like they need broadcast more than broadcast needs them Mm. and I suppose we'll see who actually wins that broadcast deal and whether it is BBC or Sky or whether there's another player kind of coming in there's so much food for thought there and I'm sure everyone listening probably has a strong opinion so do get in touch with us at the athletic fc or fte at the athletic.com via email that's all we've got time for today though thank you so much Chloe and Jesse. oh cheers thanks for having us safe thank you For more on the 3pm blackout, check out Sarah Shepard's article coming soon on The Athletic. There's also tons of pieces on there about Nuco and where the women's game is heading. You can get a subscription today for just $1.99 a month for 12 months. Search theathletic.com slash WSL now. Please also do take a second to rate and review the show and click follow on your podcast feed. Bye for now. 
You've been listening to Full Time Europe, part of the Athletic Football Podcast Network. The producer was Sophie Penny and the executive producer was Abby Patterson. To discover and listen to other great athletic podcasts just like this one, including our brand new daily football briefing, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.